Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Krista Davidson, based in South Africa. Krista is the executive head at Ingini, Africa's EdTech Accelerator and Think Tank, and part of the Cape Innovation and Technology Initiative. Krista leads the team at Ingini, focusing on the organization's business development and strategic direction. She has spent her career working in and with social impact enterprises and has a particular passion for tech startups using their innovations to positively impact accessibility and the quality of education, healthcare, and financial services for vulnerable and under-resourced communities. Krista and I spoke about a wide range of topics, including her initial leadership experience in health tech, leading her new team at Ingeni to pursue an expanded mandate, navigating the workplace as a foreign manager, working with an executive coach, and making the most of hybrid work in Cape Town. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Krista. Welcome to the Everyday Leader podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. We uh, have had the opportunity to collaborate in the past, and so I'm uh, really uh, interested to hear more about your own leadership journey. So you serve as the executive head of Ingini, but I want to kind of take us back to maybe an early story that you have of of when you knew that you wanted to play the role of a leader or a manager earlier in your career. Is there a moment in time that uh, is kind of representative of uh, either your career journey or uh, your approach to leadership? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have a specific moment in mind, um, but I think I, you know, if I think back to to school days and and my studies, um, working in groups always felt quite natural to me, and and I think I tended to assume the role of of a quote unquote leader in a lot of those groups, and um, just really liked kind of helping to bring people's strengths together to, yeah, to, to come up with something that's that's the best version of, of all of our works. So, yeah, I think from like pretty young, I, I started organically uh, being drawn to, to positions of leadership. And then in sort of my professional life, um, the first opportunity that I had to, to really serve as a manager was, was at a health tech company based in in Cape Town. And for a few years, I was managing a few uh, healthcare products that that meant I needed to manage resources, um, human resources of people from various healthcare backgrounds. So oral hygienists and dentists and nurse practitioners and um, optometrists and and lots of people with skill sets that I certainly didn't have and and education backgrounds that I also didn't have. Um, So I think in that experience and working with with all of those professionals and really bringing them together and making sure everyone was aligned for for various projects and and, um, programs made me really trust their their proficiencies and, and helped me to sort of carve my own path and see what they were lacking and, and how I could um, add value. Because obviously I'm in the field without having a healthcare background, I wasn't going to be able to contribute all that much. But in the build up to those um, site visits where the healthcare provision was taking place, I was able to 
to, to help with organization quite a bit to make sure everyone was prepared and feeling like they knew exactly what to expect. Um, so yeah, I think in that experience, I learned quite a lot about myself and my own strengths and how to communicate to people with very different skill sets and very different experiences from my own. Um, and I think it, yeah, it just sort of helped me to develop myself and, and my managerial style. It's actually a really interesting topic that you bring up. You've worked in health tech where you don't necessarily come from uh, a health background, if I understood you right, mm -hmm. and needing to play kind of a coordinating or manager role uh, and really needing to uh, rely on uh, different uh, team members who have the relevant skill set to uh, do the actual work. Do you think when you've shifted down to, to ed tech, um, is there anything specific you could maybe comment on related to to the health sector uh, that you kind of were able to uh, recognize even further once you shifted away from it that maybe makes the healthcare sector um, unique when it comes to leadership and manager roles? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in general, healthcare can feel a lot more um, immediate in, in the way that, especially within South Africa, where preventative healthcare is is less um, prioritized than reactive healthcare. Um, I think a lot of, you know, patients expect immediate results. You go to the doctor or, you you know, you see your, your specialist and, and you want to come out of that consultation with a diagnosis or a prescription or treatment in some way. Um, whereas in education, of course, that's, that's not the case. Um, everything's, you know, seeing, seeing outcomes, seeing uh, change in, in a learner's experience or learning outcomes really takes quite a long time. Um, and so I think if you think about the management of both of those, those sectors that obviously requires a very different mindset, um, when it comes to urgent healthcare, especially, uh, you know, you, you need to prioritize emergencies. You need to make sure that things are coming together in a way that is, is, is going to ensure that this patient has the best possible outcome and, you know, can really be life or death. Whereas in an educational intervention, if you're managing that kind of project, of, of course, it's almost equally as important to, to ensure that the individual is getting the best quality education and, and accessing it and the content they're learning is relevant, but you do have quite a, a, a long time to figure out how to deliver that content in a way that's going to be effective. Um, but that obviously also requires the manager of that project to, to really be quite patient and to really stick with it and, and learn and reflect. And you might even have opportunities to correct for, for things that you, um, are, are learning along the way. Whereas I think in healthcare, you know, you might learn from one patient and be able to apply those learnings to the next, but it's, it's just a different dynamic. So you stepped into uh, the head of programs and operations role at Ingenie back in 2019 and, and now have moved into an executive head role. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, what Ingenie does and, and what your role now entails? So Ingenie was really founded with the mission to make education accessible and relevant to learners across the African continent. 
And we believe that the best way to do that is to support the education innovators who are, are really on the ground, understand their markets and can create innovations to optimize the reach of quality education. Most of Ingenie's work has centered around those entrepreneurs, those individuals who are who are out there creating the solutions to, to real educational challenges that the continent as a whole grapples with. Um, but particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, we, you know, we have a few key challenges that we as Ingenie have focused on over the years, um, particularly looking at education of, of children. So focusing in on um, early childhood development through secondary education. So um, the lives of children from ages zero to 18, and then the teachers who of course support those children. So most of the, the companies that we are actively supporting, all of the companies that we're actively supporting really fall into that category, are creating solutions and um, scaling solutions that are actively trying to improve the status quo in education in their markets or beyond in some cases where, where the solutions have scaled. Um, and Jeannie really started out as an ed tech educational technology incubator. And recently we've, we've kind of relooked at our model and decided to, to move along to ed tech acceleration in, in terms of our core flagship programming. And what that really means is that a lot of our resources are now focused on supporting more mature ed tech startups that have already made some traction and, and proven their uh, potential to create significant social impact in their given markets. And so a lot of our work is, is focused in that area and really extending the capacity of those teams and really thinking of ourselves as extensions of those teams and, and doing whatever we can to, to support them and, and to ensure that they are able to optimize their own impact. Um, it's a very personalized program that we, we work with the founders and business leaders to develop uh, milestones and, and we go through a pretty diagnostic needs assessment process and build a personalized program for each company that comes through that program. And then we also have a, a very newly established Ingenie Think Tank, which is focused on research, consultancy, and advocacy work. And really what, what that's all about is our very long-term vision to positively influence education policy and promote the uptake of evidence-based ed tech solutions and, and innovations within the public sector of, of key African markets. So it's basically our first real step into to working with the public sector. So I think we've acknowledged and, and seen very, um, in, very closely over the years that it's difficult to, to do anything too substantial in the education space without involving public sector in, on the continent. So um, we're focusing on a few key countries first and then, and then hoping to expand our footprint as we get a bit more traction. Um, but it's a really, really exciting new sort of initiative for us. And, and that's only really got started last year in 2021. So that's going quite strong. And then we have one more sort of division of Ingenie focused on ecosystem development. And what that's all about is stimulating the very early stages of, of ed tech entrepreneurialism. So bringing in, making sure that, that we're attracting talent into the sector, that we are giving those entrepreneurs and innovators 
the right fundamentals to get started and to develop a viable business that's evidence-based and will actually promote the improvement of learning outcomes in their desired uh, sector. And then, um, yeah, we do that with, with the number of different programs that offer mentorship and, and other resources to those, to those entrepreneurs all across the continent. Um, and within that ecosystem development space, we also try to convene stakeholders and um, promote more investment into the space, just really try to try to stimulate the ecosystem, the African EdTech ecosystem in any way we, we can. Um, so that's, yeah, that's sort of ingenious in a nutshell. And Chris, what was your, your second question? Well, yeah, no, that was uh, super helpful to hear how Ingini has evolved over the years. And I'm sure those changes uh, are reflective of the learnings and also the needs that um, your team has kind of spotted as you've engaged with the cohorts of different ed tech startups over the years. And, you know, I had um, the opportunity to collaborate uh, with you at Ingini in, in one of the business coach uh, matching um, programs that you ran with one of the recent cohorts. And I can definitely attest to the quality and, and the potential of the startups that you guys have, have worked with. And uh, they are truly Pan-African and, and they're doing a lot of great uh, work in terms of new innovative ways, especially uh, as it uh, came to the shifts uh, towards remote learning uh, in recent years. So uh, yeah. glad to hear that you guys are um, continuing to uh, innovate even within your own team and finding uh, additional ways to support um, further companies and scaling up and supporting the wider ecosystem. And so that the second part of the question, which I think um, is a great uh, next uh, kind of step is to hear from you more around how your role as now the executive head of this kind of wider mandate has evolved and how you as a leader have had to adjust in terms of what you're doing day to day and then how you uh, drive the team forward to really execute on this kind of expanded mission. Yeah, I think, I mean, my role has evolved quite a lot in the, the three years that I've, I've been at Ingenie. Um, when I came into the business in, in 2019, I was really, I was, I was appointed as head of operations. So obviously very operational, really just focused on implementing a project plan that had actually already been designed by my, my predecessor. And, um, you know, we had, we have a number of funders that we report to. So there was there was a lot to do. The, the plans were ambitious, so it was it was a, a lot of implementing, a lot of organizing and um, managing in, in terms of working with with the rest of the team and, and delegating work. Um, but yeah, very very much operational. Um, that was really how the first year or so looked. And upon the end of of well, actually by the midpoint of twenty twenty we were really focused on, on fundraising. Um, and somewhere around there is, is when I changed my, or my title was changed to head of programs and operations. Um, with our fundraising journey, we also designed a number of new programmatic interventions that we were busy proposing and, and pitching to various funders and sponsors to help us get resourced. Um, so I really became quite focused on on program design and sort of thinking about um, 
better ways to support the entrepreneurs that we were most interested in supporting. So those that are the most sort of high impact potential, impact focused um, in in the ecosystem. Like how do we how do we leverage their commitment and passion to solve a particular challenge and really just amplify amplify their work. Um, so a lot of my my attention then was spent on conceptualization and program design and um, it allowed me to be really creative and and I actually really enjoyed that that part of, of the journey quite a bit. Um, I think I, you know we learned a lot from what had been done in the four years that uh, had where we had done incubation prior to to that point and I took all of that feedback and data that we had collected over that time and really tried to analyze it and, and think through it um, in a way that I could build on top of it and use that that information to to create something even more valuable that would be even more well received by the ecosystem and, and of course have have that bigger impact. So that was sort of like the middle, the middle portion of, of my journey at Ingenie. And then um, once we sort of settled on a new, a new strategy, a new sort of program design, um, the acceleration partnership program was developed in that, in that period of conceptualization as was the Ingenie think tank. Um, some of the ecosystem development work was further refined and I had an opportunity to sort of relook at what was working and what wasn't and um, to adapt a few things and, and play around and, and test out some new programs during that time. So once we sort of came to a conclusion as to what was working, we, we managed to secure a bit more funding, felt a bit more, more secure and um, certain about the future. And from there is, is around the point that, that I kind of took the, the title executive head and what my life since then has really looked like is, is all about building a team who can support the implementation of this concept that, that I've just spent the last really few years developing, if, if we consider the learnings and reflections that took place during that implementation stage. So that's really a lot of 2021 was, was spent building up the team, recruiting the right, the right people for the right roles, and really thinking about what that org chart should actually look like and, and how everyone should be collaborating or reporting to one another or, you know, what, what exactly um, would, what, what a successful Ingenie team look like now that we had all this new work. So that's quite, you know, that's, that's a lot, a lot to do, a lot to, um, to figure out. And as soon as we started bringing some, some new team members in, the energy levels, of course, just skyrocketed. And obviously it wasn't just me anymore. Um, some of our junior, our really junior employees who had been with us from the previous um, model ended up kind of transitioning out of the business. So we really had a, a very blank slate to work with. And yeah, once we got a few more senior people on the team, um, I had more more minds to put together and we've, we've just been focusing on building and trying to create impact since then and, and to test these kind of theories that we've, we've developed um, based on our past learnings 
really trying to figure out whether or not um, the new way of doing things is working and is creating more impact in the way that we, we hoped it would. Um, so now it's my job is really just about helping everyone else, supporting everyone else to implement and at the same time trying to make sure I'm sort of connecting the dots between all the divisions and, and keeping everyone um, communicative and and open and hoping that they they give me feedback when they have it and if they think of better ways of doing things they they bring that to me and then we we try them out or discuss and and figure out a new way forward so yeah a lot of my work now is super collaborative um super excited by by the growth in the team um and just yeah feeling very very grateful to be able to lead something that started out pretty small and, and is now um, relatively much, much bigger. <laughs> well, so you said you have how many team members now? So there are eight of us now that are in the core team, but we work really closely with um, the Cape Innovation Technology Initiative, which was actually our parent company initially. We've ingenious since spun out to be its own nonprofit organization, but um, we're still very much tied to, to city in many ways. And they have upwards of 60, 60 or 70 um, individuals in the, in the team. And many of those also support us in various ways. Well, and so you said you now have eight uh, new team members and uh, none of them are, are from kind of the previous model that Ingini uh, was operating previously when you joined. Right. Um, how do you go about, you, you, you mentioned you know, wanting to keep the communication lines open to really uh, kind of establish a culture of innovation um, in order to um, execute on, on these new models. What are some practical strategies that you've been trying to use to really um, move, move the needle and move things forward with this new team? Yeah, so I think aligning on, on culture has been a really sort of important, um, important factor or, or consideration. Every time we, we bring a new team member into the group, we, we have a culture workshop and we, we speak about sort of what's important to us as, at Ingini, what our sort of values are, um, and just a bit more about the practicalities of, of working together and, and, you know, ensuring that there's, there's a lot of mutual respect and transparency and honesty and, and all of that. Um, I think that's, that's sort of an important step to make sure everyone is aligned. And then beyond that, on a more regular basis, every month we have one-on-one -on -one, um, 360 feedback sessions with our direct reports or, or managers. So um, with the two senior managers that work below me, I, I meet with them on a monthly basis and we really try to make it a really open forum to say our sort of unfiltered thoughts and you know what's been bothering us, what could be doing, what could what could go better, what could be improved, um, and what's actually been working quite well and you you appreciate about the other person or or the really the relationship. And those sessions I think are really critical to each of us just having a, a really open um, relationship and making sure that we we understand one another's sort of the, the way we work and what 
makes us tick and you know how we can avoid conflict really i think it, it it's really served to be very preventative um i think without it there isn't necessarily ever a good time to bring something up to either your manager or in some cases the person who's reporting into you um if if there's you know a small annoyance it might not feel appropriate or significant enough to to bring it to that person's attention but those small things then build up and that causes tension in the relationship and ultimately might lead to much more severe consequences and a break a breakdown of trust and you know lots of other um, implications that are, are a lot harder to sort of fix if, if it, they do get to that point so having these regularly scheduled feedback sessions where both individuals have an opportunity to share exactly what's on their mind big or small um, I think it just kind of gives you a clean slate every every month and you you have that opportunity to be vulnerable and um, know that the other person is well hopefully not going to take offense to anything that you're saying and everything that the other person's saying is is typically um, being said because they care about the relationship and, and they want to see you both succeed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's worked out really well for us. I think it's, it's been an effective way of creating close relationships across the team. Um, but yeah, I, I obviously don't sit in every one of those conversations. So it's, I think I, I can just see from the outside that almost all of our, our managers have, have great relationships with their, their juniors and, and, um, vice versa. So I think it's, I think it's helping. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think when you first said once a month, um, I was I was thinking to myself, well, that that's a lot. But <laughs> given that you know the whole team is new, uh, getting to know each other, there's a lot of change happening in terms of your actual work. Uh, yeah. I think it does make sense. And and what you shared there around uh, the small things that can eventually build up and you know almost cause resentment is definitely true, and, and speaks to my own experience. And one thing like a tool that I've used, which sounds very similar to what you're doing within your team is, is kind of, a, it's called the user manual where mm-hmm. you list out and kind of describe and communicate and articulate the various working preference or the work style preferences that you have um, that, you know, may um, jive or may, you know, conflict with the working styles of other team members and just being upfront and proactive about uh, communicating and addressing anything that might be rubbing someone the wrong way just so that you don't let those small things get in the way of uh, what would otherwise be you know, a very productive and meaningful professional uh, relationship. So is your team in person completely right now? We are are now sort of doing a bit of both where we're going into the office once or twice a week and we, we try to coordinate. So we're all there at the same time when we, when we are there. Um, but there was a long period of time when we were fully remote and I mean, that was, that was difficult. I'm sure some of your other guests have, have had a lot to say um, about what it's, it's meant to build relationships in a remote working environment. But I think for us, because all of these, these working relationships are, are new, um, I think, yeah, it, it's been an interesting challenge. Um, like I said, having once or being in the office once or twice and having some FaceTime has made a big difference to those interpersonal relationships and, and really um, having developing a bit of 
you know, rapport outside of the task that you're working on together. Uh, I think it's been it's been really important for our team's development, but um, we have found ways to work virtually, to work remotely together pretty effectively. I just think, um, yeah, it, it's more likely that there are miscommunications or misunderstandings, uh, misinterpretations of tone, I think are quite common when using Slack all day to, to communicate to your, your colleagues. So you can kind of forget what the person's really like in person if you are only speaking to them online for too long. So I think both are both work, but but for us, we, we've definitely benefited from a little bit of in-person time. So, I mean, I do think you, you're, neat, you're unique in, in a lot of ways in that your full team is in Cape Town and that you have been able to start doing hybrid work. I know a lot of team members that I've spoken to are on businesses that are now kind of fully remote in some sense and, and are inter interacting with a lot of uh, their team members who are in other countries. Now, I know the, the startups that you work with are definitely spread across, but your whole team is in Cape Town. So I'm curious how you've made the most of this kind of hybrid approach. How do you, you said you were trying to make the most of, of your time together and you time the in-person events to kind of all come together. Is there any other strategies that you've seen working to make the most of the, the hybrid approach? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are so many tools and, and platforms that, that we, we use online um, to help us when we are working remotely. And I think, you know, with, without those collaborative tools like, like Notion and Slack and, you know, even just like the Google business suite, like all of those collaborative documents and, and um, places to, to work together, I think have, helped us to to remain connected um even if you know there are some periods where we're going through a, a big covid wave for instance we obviously aren't in the office for those periods and um we we have to make sure that we're all aligned and on the same on the same page and know exactly what's going on um in while we're all working from home so having those tools in place and having everyone really use them properly in the way that they they're meant to be used, I think, I think does help a lot. And we've spent a few workshops as, as a team, um, really demonstrating how best we want to use all of these tools and, and platforms um, to make sure everyone really understands. So that's been helpful. Um, we also have a, a team huddle every Monday morning. So that's just like a 20 minute video call where we just express anything that is relevant for the whole team to know. We um, have a second kind of reporting uh, tool that is built into our Slack workspace uh, called Trooper that just asks a few questions on, on a Monday morning um, about what you achieved last week, what you are, what your plans are to accomplish in the week ahead any barriers and then sort of just anything else you'd like to say. There's also a field to indicate how you're feeling that day with like a drop down um, with different emojis. So I think that's quite a, a nice like quirky little tool from a practical standpoint. It obviously helps us to make sure we, we know what everyone's working on and managers can see clearly where the priorities of their 
of their teams are. Um, but I think to see how the person's feeling and, and what else is on their plate is also helpful from like an empathetic point of view to make sure we are aware of one another's circumstances and if something else might be going on that is a barrier in their personal life. A lot of times, because we're a small team and, and we're all pretty comfortable with each other, um, that person might say something either in that team huddle video call or on their trooper report. And, you know, if, if they're not performing at 100%, it's a nice way to just look back and recognize that they're not themselves that week and, and maybe we can cut them a little bit of slack for, for now. Um, yeah, so just a few things that we do outside of the office that, that help us to stay connected. And then, yeah, like, like I said earlier, um, so every Thursday, for instance, we're in the office and we try to schedule our most kind of um, deep thinking workshops during that time. So it requires the whole team or, or one of our division teams to be in a room together and really workshopping a concept or planning something out and um, creating, for instance, a project plan for, we have an upcoming think tank launch uh, that'll be happening in, in the next month or so. So our whole think tank team plus the marketing team has been spending a lot of time together, literally sitting around a table with the whiteboard and thinking about exactly what this thing might look like. Um, and that's something I think we lost a bit of when we were working fully remotely. So it's, it's quite nice to bring that back and to be able to get all of that energy in the same room and to feed off of one another um, and just really ideate and, and build something as, as a group rather than a whole bunch of individuals coming up with ideas in isolation and then trying to, to blend them together after the fact. So we, we really try to emphasize collaboration when we, when we are physically together. Uh, I'm sure a lot of teams uh, who are fully remote are, are jealous uh, at your story there around uh, being able to do some in-person activities with your team. And I also took a note of some of the, the, the tools that you use like Trooper, and it's T-R-O-O-P-R, a Slack plugin that uh, seems like a lot more sophisticated than just a daily check-in or check-out. So I'll definitely take a look at that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, you, you and I are both Americans uh, working in the African region. So I definitely wanted to ask you specifically about your experience uh, working um, in South Africa as a, an international expatriate, you could say, uh, in a leadership role and, and what maybe uh, dynamics uh, you, you grappled with or engaged with in a leadership role um, as uh, a foreigner. Uh, anything to share there? Any interesting stories or anecdotes um, that would be maybe helpful for other uh, foreign uh, leaders who are, are working on the continent or um, you know, people working here who uh, are also working with uh, expats in, in their day-to-day -day role? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting topic for sure. Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've found the experience to have, have its pros and cons, I suppose. I, unfortunately, I think that there can be this, um, this, this bias from some of our, our, some stakeholders, some funders or, or investors that I speak to, if, if 
they if I'm their first point of contact, they might assume that the organization is is American and runs a certain way. And um, yeah, in some cases, depending on who the other individual is, they might feel more comfortable working with with an organization that's that's led by someone who's from the U.S. or the global north, which can obviously be quite um, you know, upsetting, I suppose, because Ingenie is an African organization. Our whole team is South African. Um, we, we really do prioritize diversity and, and I would hate to think that we're trading on the reputation of my nationality, which is, you know, it couldn't, couldn't be further from the, the kind of reputation that we actually want to be building for Ingenie. So I think, it, yeah, there've been some um, interesting interesting i suppose experiences that i've had from from that side of things that have um, opened my eyes a bit to how americans in the workplace might be perceived by certain um entities outside of of our context and then i think um you know just on a more sort of team dynamic level um there were definitely a lot of learnings that that i I took away from my experience in managing a team of, of South Africans um, and individuals from really all, all over the continent in a few a few cases. I think the I mean the diversity and both in, in culture and in race and um, perspectives and experience has been incredibly rewarding to 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 work closely with. I'm not sure. Um, well, I certainly had never had that experience working in the U.S., and so I think it's it's just been quite um, yeah. I've, I've learned a lot, I suppose, and I think it's taught me to really rely quite a bit on um, on my sense of empathy and really just being interested to learn more about different people and how they prefer to work and engage and um, what their their cultural contexts may have how their cultural contexts may have contributed to the way they they behave or perform in the workplace I think it's just um, it's just been a really gratifying experience I suppose working with people from from so many different walks of life and I think within South Africa specifically um, you know, even if you just look at Cape Town, there are so many different cultures that, that we are lucky enough to um, engage with and, and to see overlapping and intertwining. And um, as someone who's not not from here, I feel yeah very lucky to be exposed to that. I think uh, what you've shared is, is super important and super relevant. And um, even from my own experience, you know, something that came up when you were just reflecting there was this element of, you know, um, when you're in a leadership role, you you know, need to grapple with the realities of being a leader because that you know, takes constant self-awareness and identifying blind spots. And so needing to do that then in a setting where you're working across a number of different cultures and different nationalities is just an added layer of complexity. Um, and, you know, I, I found myself a few years back uh, managing a, um, a large team where there was, I think, six or seven different 
nationalities. And so there's a lot of different dynamics at place uh, in place. And I was also needing to um, rapidly reinvent myself as my team was rapidly scaling. So uh, I can definitely um, relate to you on that and, and needing to um, be aware of, you know, the biases that we, we have ourselves, but also, you know, recognize the other elements that are play, you know, related to funding, related to, um, you know, wanting to represent uh, the, the organization in, in the right uh, way, the most authentic way. When I was going through that, my own journey, I had an opportunity to work with a few different uh, executive coaches, uh, which, you know, in part, you know, was helpful to, to navigate that journey. And I know that you uh, were able to also work with an executive coach um, last year. I'm curious if you have any reflections about the experience of working with an executive coach as it, as it relates to you kind of stepping into this executive head role. Uh, had you worked with a coach before and and what were the types of uh, things that you maybe spoke with about this coach, if you're open to sharing maybe broad uh, themes? Yeah, I mean, yeah, my experience was was really positive in, in working with with my coach over the last last year or so. Um, I'd say some of the, the most helpful tools that, that we ended up using, um, both in those sessions and then I've continued to use them outside of the sessions, are, are relating to sort of understanding and really, really backing my strengths. Um, I think I, like many others, have a tendency to to doubt myself quite a bit in, in many areas. And um, if I am anxious about something or, or feel like, you know, having, having that inkling of, of an imposter syndrome that's sneaking up, um, I go back to this, this, this list of strengths that my my coach and I had sort of put together, um, and I've found it to be really really reassuring. Um, there's yeah, there are a few sort of like assessments that we we did at the beginning of our intervention that helped to guide that list to, to develop that list, and it's been yeah, it's just been a really helpful tool to sort of keep me grounded. And okay, if I'm dealing with something that is feeling particularly challenging, how can I employ one of these top three skills to make this situation a little bit easier or to tackle this in a way that is maybe not as, um, is not the approach that I'm thinking is necessary. Like if I use this, this, my creative strength, then, you know, what, what would I, what can I do differently here? Um, to make the whole process a bit more manageable or even in some cases just to like get something to get something done if I'm if I'm procrastinating because I'm really not looking forward to a task then I go back to my list of strengths and think about like how I can make this more enjoyable for me because I can I can leverage one of those things that I already know I'm good at um, to help me me get something over the line I think that's been really helpful um, for me personally. I think it's, yeah, it, it might be be interesting for other people who also struggle with self-doubt or imposter syndrome in, in various places in, in life. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think in my individual coaching sessions um, with, with my coach, I found it really helpful to have a really clear kind of objective in mind. So my particular executive coach would, would start every meeting we had 
by asking me what I'd like to have achieved by the end of our conversation. And so we, we really try to be quite outcomes driven in those conversations and um, where I did have a very clear sort of destination, um, those, those conversations tended to be the most productive and really, really helped the most in, in whatever kind of um, outside challenges I was, I was dealing with. I could, I could apply whatever I sort of learned during those, that hour or so um, directly to, to whatever was, was top of mind, whatever challenge I was dealing with outside of that. So, yeah, I, it's it's helped me enormously. I think in my my new role, especially, or when I when I did first step into the executive head role, um, I was I was pretty overwhelmed with all of the responsibility and the notion of building a, a whole new team and you know how was I going to select the right people and I think um, a lot of those conversations with my coach helped me to to back myself in my own judgment and to find the kind of skills and personalities that would mesh best and, and would really um, be able to collaborate and grow together. And, and so far it's, it's worked out. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience for me personally. I, I definitely recommend others in, in similar positions, try it out. Amazing. Uh, so happy to hear that that uh, the coaching engagement that you that you've gone through uh, was helpful as you have transitioned into this this new role and built up um, an exciting team. And uh, what you shared there around um, being intentional with the sessions and also the strategy of identifying kind of strengths uh, and superpowers that you can really consistently rely on to you know, fall back on and use as a way to kind of guide guide you um, sounds uh, quite helpful. Uh, so thank you so much for you know, opening up and reflecting on your journey. Uh, really um, inspiring to see what Ingeni has done already and, and where you're taking uh, the mission uh, in order to uh, you know, support the ed tech sector uh, in the African region. Um, lots of room for impact and you're really happy uh, that you're uh, steering the ship there and um, and I look forward to following Ginny's journey and also your journey as a leader. So thank you again for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. <laughs>